Oh, so glad you're with us. Thanks for worshiping with us at Bethlehem Church across all of our campuses. Uh, man, I can't wait. Uh, hopefully you guys across our I get fired up that song. Cross still stands, blood still flows, hell still knows. Isn't that good right there? Uh, you're going to hear that a lot because we need to be reminded it's Christ that's one. Uh, and so Bethlehem Church across our campuses, we're glad you are with us. And it's Anxious to Matter, which is a series about purpose. Like we all have this inkling, we all have this angst, we, whether we know it or not, whether we put words to it or not, we want our life to matter. We want our life to count for something, right? We want our life like, like to have purpose and why, and there's this in us. In fact, two decades ago when I stepped into ministry, when I was 11, right, when I started in ministry, when I stepped into, kid, it was two days. I was a youth pastor in my early 20s and stepped into ministry. There was a book that was released in 2002 by Pastor Rick Warren, and here was the title of the book Purpose Driven Life. Anybody ever uh, seen, heard? 40 day devotion. Uh, it sold in the last two decades over 50 million copies, right? 50 million copies. He just retired from his church in Southern California and actually paid his church back his salary for over 30 years because he never, he paid it back. All the salary they ever paid him gave it back to him, right? Uh, 50 million books. He didn't expect that. And so he wanted to be a generous. But the whole idea of the book is this, that your life counts, right? You have purpose. 50 million copies, which means way more than just people who show up at a church read this book. I'm rereading it right now in my own time with God. It's a 40-day journal. Simple things. There's nothing complicated about it. But the first line of the whole book, the first line of the whole book, here's what it says. It's not about you. And that statement's counterintuitive when you think about purpose, Right? Because you think about finding my purpose, finding, like, it's about using my gifts and, and my strengths and my job and my dreams and my ambition and my wiring. And that's how I find my purpose in the midst of all that. So I, me, my are instinctive places we get, begin. And he begins the whole book by saying it's not about you. And here's the first paragraph. The purpose of your life is far greater than your own personal fulfillment, than your peace of mind, or even your happiness. is far greater than your family, your career, or even your wildest dreams and ambitions. If you want to know why you were placed on this planet, you must begin with God. You were born by his purpose and for his purpose. Or as Jesus would say, in John 15, when looking at his followers, and one of the last metaphors he would use talking about what it means to have a relationship with him before he goes to the cross, he would say this, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me, stay connected with me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Let's say this together, church, but apart from me, you can do nothing. Let's say it like we slept in this morning, okay? So let's say it like we're awake. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So here's what it is. Purpose in life flows from relationship with God. Relationship with God is not one of the purposes in life. But actual purpose flows from that. So I want to take another step right in this conversation. I want to take another step into what we're doing in this series. And there's a statement I share with pastors oftentimes. I was with a group of pastors on Tuesday. And we were talking about preaching in a post-Christian context. Talking about preaching 
the gospel in a world that has kind of moved past, if you will, an agreement on many things. And there's a statement I use. It's not new to me. In fact, I didn't come up with it. I'm not sure. You can't really trace the source. But I say this, and this is true, and I want you to hear. It's not your notes, just me talking. I say to pastors, guys, oftentimes people aren't on a truth quest. They're on a happiness quest. Let me explain you for a second. Let me explain our culture. Let me explain the human psyche. That people most of the time, I shouldn't say most of the time, oftentimes people aren't against truth. They're just more committed to their happiness. Really? Right? They're not against truth. They're just more committed to their happiness. But it's embedded in our DNA as a society. We hold these truths to be self-evident. All men are created equal. They're endowed by the creator with, create, uh, with certain unalienable rights that amongst them are life and liberty and the pursuit of. So what happens is many times what is reduced is purpose comes down to simply this. Am I happy? You want to know about purpose in life? The question comes down, am I happy with my job? Am I happy with my income? Am I happy with my marriage? Am I happy with my partner? Am I happy with my company? Am I happy? Am I So purpose in life a lot of times comes down to happiness. God's not against happiness at all, right? He's not against happiness, but oftentimes what we call happy is hollow. And what I mean by this is happy for a moment, but when life is pressed and when things happen, happiness crumbles. And so what I want to kind of maybe lay out to you just a simple thought for a second, right? The cultural truth of our time is we're driven by happiness. Nothing wrong with happiness, but it's subjective and it depends on the person. Comfort, wealth, status, accumulation, that's happiness. But the biblical truth is we're created on purpose and for a purpose, Now, where I want to kind of push in is simply say this. I need you to hear me because if you don't hear this in the series, you've missed everything. Being successful and living out your purpose are not at all the same issue. Being successful or our version of happiness, and we can point to it and go, look, I got everything. And the idea of actually living out why you were created are not all the same issue. So if you got your Bibles, Mark chapter 10, there's a story Jesus Right, you see this interaction with Jesus in Matthew, in Mark, and in Luke. Matthew 19, Mark 10, Luke 18. I want you to go to Mark 10. And there's an interaction he has that show up in these three different Gospels. And in this, this guy that Jesus interacts with has all the markers of happiness in his life. Everything that we would go, he should be happy. He's got them. He should be happy. He's got them. And yet there's a conversation with Jesus. It's the story of the rich young ruler. Right, by, This is the way the Bible describes him in these three Gospels. He's rich, which means this, he had money. The Bible said he had great possessions. He was young, which means this, he had his health. Most people get rich in their older age. Young, you're working to get rich. He got it when he was young. That's what the Bible talks about in Matthew. He was a young, and he was a ruler. What does that mean? He had authority, and he had power. Right, This is who he was. So let's do the math. In our culture... If you're rich, which means you can live in the house you want, drive the cars you want, and you're young, and you're rich and young, what do we call that? The envy of many. And you've got authority, and you've got power, 
Well, you take these three things, you do the math. You know what we call that in our society? Happy. You should be happy, right? That's where you should be. You got it. I mean, man, come on. That's happy. If you got your Bibles, Mark 10, in fact, across our campuses, will you stand with me? Because we're going to read this together. In the honor of the reading of God's word, Mark chapter 10, we're going to be in verse 17. As he was setting out on his journey, Jesus speaking, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. So good's a big deal right here. This guy comes up to Jesus. Hold on with me, then I'll let you sit down. This guy comes up to Jesus. It's like, hey, Jesus, you're good, I'm good, we're good, right? That's what this is. And Jesus kind of goes, oh, so you know what good is. And since you know what good is, since you got it figured out, you're on the same page. And Jesus kind of keeps going and goes, well, here's what good is. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. What do we call those? The ten? You guys are on track, man. And he said, teacher. All those I've kept from my youth. So hold on for a second. He's rich, he's young, he's a ruler, and he's moral. Man, this dude right here, he's not some angry capitalist. Mm, No, he's nice, he's humble, and he's blessed because he's a moral man, right? And then he gets tough. And Jesus says this, well, there's this one thing. You lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor. Now, pause for a second. This is in the red letters. We like when Jesus says, lo, I am with you always. Yes. But this is in the red letters. Go and sell all you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Well, disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Or discouraged, right? That's what we talked about last week. When what you expect is not what you experience. What he wanted to hear, he didn't hear from Jesus, so he walked away. And Jesus looked around and said, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. And this is one of the most fascinating verses in all the Bible. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished. That didn't mean they were going, yes. They're like, uh, well, then who in the world can be in? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man it's impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. It's God's word to us. God's word for us. You can be seated. Let me set this up and really break it down for us and make it simple if I can. If it's not about us, it's not about you, it's not about me, we can have the t-shirt, we can wear, right, the bracelet, we can sing the song, but here's what that means. Start right here. Focusing on ourselves will never reveal our life's purpose. If it's not about us, focusing on ourselves will never reveal our life's purpose. This guy's whole focus up to this point was himself. He had rank, he had reputation, he had money, he had possessions, and yet he still came up to Jesus, and it kind of went like this. Hey, Jesus, we're good, right? I'm on the right track. 
And Jesus looks at him and pushes a little bit. And Jesus looks at him and says, you like this one thing. You won't walk away from those things to follow me, right? You think what you have, your reputation and your possessions, right, that makes you good. And the guy walks away because that was a hard teaching. That's what the Bible says. And here's the verse. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. This guy's whole focus was on himself. Jesus ends this with this statement people have heard for years, but nobody really knows what to do with. And I've talked with people after every service this week, and they're like, have you heard this? Have you heard this? Have you heard this? Yes. This is Jesus, though. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. So there's two things. First of all, did you know that there's many rich people in heaven that are in the Bible? So you can breathe a little bit. All right. Abraham, rich. Joseph, rich. King David, rich. Job, rich. Tough life, but rich. Right? Joseph of Arimathea, the guy Jesus was buried in his tomb, rich. Nicodemus in John chapter 3, rich. Some of them in the early church, Acts 1 through 6, some of those people that propelled the church forward, guess what they were? Rich. Right? The issue isn't wealth, so you can take a big deep breath. The issue isn't wealth, that's not the issue with this guy. The issue is the place and priority wealth had in his heart. Right? That was the issue. Not wealth, but the place wealth played in his life. In fact, let's go back and read this again. It is easier for the camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, with a smile on my face, here's what some of us think. Well, thank God I'm not rich. <laughs> Come on. That's what some of us think. Well, hey, you're not talking to me, preacher. All right? There's the old preacher language y'all like using. You're not talking to me, preacher, because I'm not rich. Right? That's what we think. The way it works in our culture, you know rich, by the way. The way it works in our mind is the family that has more than you, they're rich, you're not. The guy that's got more than you, he's rich, you're not. That's the way rich works in our society. And what I would remind you is the poverty line in our country is $13,500 per individual. A family of eight is about the mid-40,000s. You can go look at the poverty census in our country. It's a family of eight, around 40,000 poverty, one individual, $13,500. Globally, the poverty rate is $787 a year. What I'm saying is you make $13,500, literally, I mean this, we're here to help. It's tough right now. Inflation, things where they're at, we are here for you. This church, generous, benevolent, we're with you. But what I also say is our version of poor compared to the rest of the world is rich. Would we agree with that? So what is Jesus saying? It's a figure of speech. It's hyperbole. It's what's going on here. This is a needle. Can you see it? Can you see the eye of it? No. Exactly. You know how big a camel is? Big. They knew a camel was big. And they knew the eye of a needle was small. This was hyperbole. This was a figure of speech. Jesus was trying to make a point. It would be like you or I saying, that thing, something, has a snowball's chance in hell of making it. Now, you guys are all funny because I just said that. Every week, I'm like, hey, Jesus in hell. 
relax. I, I mean, every service, I know y'all have never said anything crazy in this room, right? I call hell a place right there, right? When you hear somebody use the figure of speech, that doesn't have a snowball's chance in heck. How about that? Does that make y'all more comfortable, right? Y'all are so holy. A snowball's chance in hell of making it, right? You guys are hysterical all weekend long. This is the holiest church. Just ask them, we'll tell you, right? But here's the thing. A snowball is cold and small. Hell is what? Big and a snowball is not going to make it where? There you go. Thank you. My man's with me. Right? Snowball's not making it. You know what else isn't making it? A camel through the eye of a needle. Here's what Jesus is saying. If your version of goodness is looking at your life thinking, I'm pretty good because I'm a moral person and I'm a good person and I'm blessed and you think that determines your standing with God, you are so far off he doesn't even know where to start with you. But Jesus is saying if your understanding of relationship with God right, is your own goodness, I don't even know where to begin because you're so far off. Church, to get to Jesus, all you need is need, and need is the one thing this guy didn't have. Why do I say that? Because in our culture of happiness, we're driven by what we can gain. Get. All of us, right? There's a drive in. Nothing wrong with gaining, nothing wrong with happiness, but that's our drive. When Jesus pushed against this a little bit, here's what I would remind you. Living a life of purpose is driven by what I'm willing to give. So one understanding of purpose is about building my life, building my portfolio. Another standing of purpose, understanding of purpose is about giving my life away. Church, let me say this to you. Jesus isn't against you and I having things, but he is against things having us. The rich young ruler defined his life by these things. He would go, no, 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 I'm living a good life and I'm blessed and I'm a moral man, right? And so the beauty for us is in our culture, we think charity when it comes to giving. We think giving's the idea of charity. You got it and if you give it, you're a nice person. But the Bible talks about giving as a necessity. For God so loved the world that he it is better. It is better. It is better <laughs> and better. It is better to give than to receive. All right. So when we give, it's very essence of the image of God that we were created in, if you will. So we've been in a generosity initiative. Let me brag on this church. There are hundreds of people in this room right now. Hundreds of people across all of our campuses. You give and you give joyfully. Again. And by give, let me make, you give financially, you give of your money. Let me tell you what these people do. So many in this church, generous church, talking to so many people, here's what they're doing. They are leveraging their time, their income, their salary, their money, my job, my money, my life. When they give, they are leveraging that not just for their own gain, but for others' good, but for the kingdom of God. When they give, it's their way of saying this, life's not all about me. When you give regularly and consistently and repeatedly, you are leveraging your talents, your job, 
your purpose, your time, and you're pulling down on it, not just to build yourself up, but to give yourself away. And it's the way you declare life's not about me. It's not about me is a great t-shirt. It's not about me is a great little band to wear on your arm. But oftentimes we say it, but we can't show it with our life. This guy right here was like, no, I'm a good person, right? In fact, Jesus, this guy walks away, he's discouraged because it was a hard teaching. Right? And I get it. And like I get when you bring up money, and I'm bragging on you guys. When you bring up money in church, people get a little wonky, so it's been quiet for like two or three minutes. <sighs> Done it long enough, right? You bring it up. It just gets wonky. And I get it because it's a hard part for many people to surrender in their life. A hundred percent get it. They, you argue in your head when the pastor sometimes, because I've been there, I've had struggles in my life. You argue in your head with the pastor. And what we do in our culture now is we're a culture of suspicion, which we don't trust anything or anybody. So it's easier for us to go, well, I'm not against giving. I just don't trust the church. Well, I don't even know why you come here, first of all, right? If you don't trust the church, I wouldn't go anywhere I didn't trust, right? But the issue is it's easier to say, I don't trust the church than to admit you don't trust God. Now, he's preaching. He's going to stop before everybody gets real uncomfortable, okay? <laughs> but let me say, Jesus, here's what Jesus said. He knew this guy struggled with this. He was about to tell him something hard. Let's go back and look at it. And Jesus looked at him, and what did he do? We love you, man. We're for you. We're with you. You can come. You can sit. You can enjoy. And we hope God speaks to you. But we're going to tell you the truth. You were created not just to get, 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 but to give, 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 give. We're going to tell you the truth. We're going to tell you the truth, which means this. We love you. We're for you. But you were not just created to be all about you. And the minute this guy's idol was touched, I tell pastors, this is last service, I don't tell pastors, Jason, how do you talk about money to your church? People get all upset. I said, people don't like it when you tap on their idols. People like it when you tell them God's with them. People don't like it when you tap on their idols. You just got to be comfortable with it because Jesus did it all the time. Like, I love it when you talk about prayer. Yeah. Love it when you talk about evangelism. Yeah. Let's get back to that. No, no, no. I hear you, but Jesus always pushed. Right? And this guy, when he pushed, he walked away. He's like, ah, ah. <laughs> I get it. I love you. I'm for you. This is the fourth service. So here we go. In a culture of happiness, we default to serving ourselves. Right? We default to serving ourselves. But listen to me. Living a life of purpose is we're making the choice as believers, as followers of Jesus. We make the choice to serve God's kingdom, and we do that by serving others. So like the default of a broken world, which is ours, is we look and go, no, no, I serve other people, and here's the way we think, me, myself, and my family. Suburban America, our idea of serving, let me talk to you young parents in the room right quick, parents of my age, our idea of serving men, well, I serve my family by providing for them, and I serve my family by doing this and that. We think of serving through me, myself, and I, no doubt about it, right? But I want to remind you that sometimes we don't want to own it. But serving our family it's at the same time as serving our best interest. Because when my kids are doing good, guess what? My life's a lot better. Right? I'm called to serve my family. I'm called to serve my wife. But this picture right here was Jesus saying, will you serve others? Unless you give it to the poor people, that there's no benefit to you. 
There was a choice this guy wouldn't make. In fact, here's what the Bible says. They saw him as first, but look at what the Bible says. This is the way it sums up this whole passage. But many who are first, because the disciples were astonished. They were amazed, not because this message Jesus taught was awesome, but because they're like, well, if this guy's not saved, if this guy's not in, he's moral, he believes the right thing, he's got a bunch, what in the world are we supposed to do? Right? And it says, but many who are first, you guys see as first, will be last, and the last first when it comes to the kingdom of God. Right? Now, there's hundreds of families at this church as well. Just like many of you give and give joyfully and give again and again, there are hundreds of families, and I'm looking at so many of them, that give and they serve week in and they serve week out. They consistently and repeatedly, again and again, no matter what is happening in their life, they choose to serve others. And when, we, when they do that, here's the thing. They are making the declaration, it's not about me. When you choose to give and when you choose to serve, it's our tangible way in a self-service culture to say it's not about me. In fact, here's the way I'd say it. Giving joyfully and serving willingly is how we consistently and repeatedly and significantly make the declaration in life, it's not about me. It is one thing to say it's not about me. It's another thing to be able to point at life and go, no, 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 no. Listen to me. I am willing this is this guy right here. The minute something was asked of him outside of his own idea of goodness, he walked away. Broad's the road that leads to destruction. Most will find it. Narrow's the road that leads to life. Right? Many, many will say to me on those days, Lord, did I not, did I not, did I not? Right? There are tough teachings of Jesus, this being one. Let me tell you why I love this church. Because there are hundreds of you, and I'm looking at many of you, at Oconee at 211, there are hundreds of you every weekend during the week that you give of yourself. When I don't preach here on the weekend on 316, I go to Oconee or 211. Or I'll walk around this campus. I Actually, between service, I walked around this campus. And it just fires me up. Because I see people, like we have a small staff compared to the size of our church. And that's on purpose. Because in America, the idea is you pay the pastor to do the work of ministry. Biblically, you equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Right, So when I walk around, man, it just gets me fired up because I see people who give of themselves willing. I met Oconee County a couple of weeks ago. And every time I'm down there, I see this one guy who's in there in the baby's room. There's a kid's wing at Oconee County. Right? If you go down there, the OC campus, there's a kid's wing, and it's packed. That's the most fertile bunch of people. There's kids everywhere. <laughs> I mean, good Lord. It's like, relax for a second, would you, man? But there's a guy who pastored for 30 years, 30 years, and every Sunday I walk down the children's ministry hall, he's retired now, and you know the most beautiful thing? He's sitting there rocking babies. There's two things I think. One, there's my future. (laughs) Right? I can't wait. Some of you who are in the nursery, a few years from now, some young buck takes his place, y'all move over, I'm coming to hang with you. Oh, it's so fun to preach. Wait till he gets the emails I get. I just keep babies, man. Don't ask me. You know what I mean? (laughs) 
Stop asking me. I'm just holding babies. But every week I walk in there, and a guy who stood in front of hundreds preaching God's works is serving and holding babies with his wife. And you know what I think? He gets it. That dude right there gets it. The kingdom of God is not about him. It's not about me. So we preach it's not about me, and now that his time of preaching is over, he sits and holds babies. Not because it's like, I would love to hold a baby because the church needs help. That dude gets it's not about me. Tonight at 4.30 or 5.30, there'll be four or five guys, adult men, who will show up at my house. And they'll lead a small group of juniors. My son's a junior, and his small group meets at our house, high school students. Four or five guys tonight at 5.30 will show up at my house. These guys all work nine to five jobs. They'll go to work tomorrow. They'll give an hour and a half or two hours of their week every week, and they'll show up and sit in the living room with a bunch of smelly juniors in high school, <laughs> teenage boys, and they'll lead a small group. And you know what I think to myself? Those guys get it. It's not about them. Yesterday, I came up here and picked, or, or Friday, I dropped my daughter off from a student ministry retreat, or dropped her off to go to a retreat. They did an overnight thing, 24 hours. This place was packed with 200 girls going off campus for 24 hours. And there were women who'd worked all week at their job, worked hard, paid the bills, and they were giving themselves. I mean, 200 teenage girls going away overnight, that just screams disaster. <laughs> Hormones, right? I talked to my daughter. She goes, there was no drama because there were no guys there. I'm like, that's true. That's a good point, right? <laughs> guys and girls, drama starts happening. Or as they call it, tea, right? Spill the tea, right? Gossip starts happening. I say all that to go, I saw these women, and I thought to myself, they get it. They get it. Like many of you drop your kids off. thousand kids a weekend we have here. You drop your kids off to come into service. And many of you turn around then and turn around and serve kids in the next hour. You know what I think to myself? They get it. It's not about them. Men and women showed up this morning at 6 it's 12.08 right now. There have been men and women who showed up at 6 a.m. They worked long jobs. They worked long hours. And this morning they showed up at 6 a.m. before me and before the band. And everything that you see, the screen, the lights, everything that you see is run by volunteers. And when I get here and I see them working, you know what I think to myself? They get it. It's not about them. Their life says it's not about me. I do this in the service of others. My aunt and uncle attend this church. A few years ago, we're having a meeting, and some, this is kind of before the generosity initiative kicked off because, which is where we're expanding, we're letting groups in on it. It's a weekend gathering we did. My aunt and uncle were there, and my aunt, her name's Debbie, she talked about how she stepped away from teaching, or she stepped away from Gwinnett County Public Schools and working after a 30-year career, and she was struggling to find purpose. And then she began to serve in our special needs ministry, Bethlehem Buddies and our dream team. And she goes, when I did that, something came back to life in me. And you know what that was? Purpose. Purpose. Why? Because you can retire from your career, but you never retire from the serving King Jesus. Church, listen to me. I get it. We need to reframe. And I just want to reframe purpose for us. We need to reframe serving because nobody's against serving others. But the way we think about serving, charity is kind of this give if you can. And it's really nice of you. Serving is more of, if you've got time, so I want to reframe serving a little bit. Serving others isn't something you work into your schedule. Serving, is, serving others isn't something you work into your life. For Jesus' followers, serving is a way of life. 
It's a way of life. And so, in fact, there's a video Pastor Matt sent me. This is probably a few months ago. It's a guy in London, England. He's a barrister, which is a lawyer. South London, I think he says in the video. And he talks about this idea of he, he would hear pastors like me, preachers, talk about, we need your help serving. And he thought to himself, I work 70 to 80 hours a week. All right? I mean, I, I'm, I'm not against it, but man, come on. But he talks about when he stepped into what he thought was like, come on, really? What God did in him. Now, he's from England, which means he doesn't talk like he's from Barrow County <laughs> or Walton County or Oconee County or anywhere in the South, for, mind you. But I want you to hear for two minutes as he talks about what God did in him, right, when he chose to take a step away and take a step in to serving others. Take it away. If I'm honest, I never really liked the church. I didn't even really like Christians that much. I used to think of it like a package deal. Like, you get Jesus, and so you get the church and Christians thrown. It's just part of the package, and uh, there are some bits you like Jesus, some bits you don't like so much, just like the church and Christians um, used to find that a bit annoying. But I'd turn up the church and go through it, but I didn't really enjoy going to church. And then one day, uh, I was at the back of our church in East London, and someone said to me, oh, we need help to run the coffee team and I was like I was like working like 70 80 hour week I'm like what and they were like yeah we Steve we really need your help running the coffee team on a Sunday and I was thinking I'm a barrister I'm not a barista like I've got a job I don't need another job to run a coffee team but I just you know sometimes you, you just can't even think of what to say so I was like okay I'll do it I'll do it okay and and I instantly thought why did I do that so I turn up next week like you know trying to get the cups and everything get the coffee right as I handed these cups to people something really changed in me. I found myself, as I handed coffee to these people, growing in love for them. I was like, these people are amazing. Like, this is this extraordinarily diverse community. It's been gathered from across the area, probably not another place that looks as diverse and integrated as this. This is a miracle. And then I, even people I found a little bit more frustrating and complicated, as I handed them their coffee, I kind of grew in love for them. And I kind of basically fell in love with the church. And then I kind of went back to the person who'd asked me to do it. I said, we need a new coffee machine. We need better beans. We need better mugs. Like, we, come on, these are amazing people. I want this to be the best coffee that they get. You know, they, they're coming to church on a Sunday morning. I got more and more passionate. I started to build a team to serve coffee on a Sunday morning. I sometimes say, making coffee changed my life because I fell in love with the church of Jesus Christ. I didn't realize why it was special. I didn't realize why it mattered. And as I made coffee for people, I suddenly realized, oh, the church is like the bride of Jesus Christ. It's like the thing he gave himself for. Like the church is God's plan for the salvation of the world. There's no plan B. And God is going to build his church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So like God is putting all his eggs in the church basket. And I realized over those few weeks, there's a beautiful thing here. Yes, it messes up. Yes, it makes mistakes. You'll never find a perfect church, but it's a beautiful thing. And I thought, that's what I want to spend my life building. How good is that, right? Because he's British, he just sounds cooler, man, you know? Anytime I hear one of these pastors in Australia, I'm like, why can't I sound like that guy? He sounds great, right? Listen. Things shifted in this guy. He heard through the lens of, you need to give. 
We need you to serve. But when he actually trusted God and began to, things shifted from I was created to give and I was created to serve. In a culture of happiness, it's all about gaining and getting. In the kingdom, it's all about giving and serving. I don't know why I didn't say that the last four services, but that's the whole point of the message. In a culture of happiness, listen to me, it's gaining and getting, going, look, I'm good. In the kingdom, it's giving and serving. That's what sets us apart. Now, here's my invitation, real simply. This church is crazy growing. In fact, literally. At 9.30, before I walked in, I had a buddy of mine who's driving from Alpharetta, Athens, to preach. And he texted me and said, I am going to be late to the church I'm supposed to preach at via Bethlehem Church traffic. (laughs) Thank you, guys. I said, you're welcome. You guys are fantastic. Isn't it cool what we get to be a part of in this season? God's just been super kind to us, and it's because so many of you. This is an invitation You do what you want when it comes to giving. That's between you and God. You take it up with him, right? No hard sell there. It's between you and God. Hardest thing you'll ever do is trust him. Trust him. Easy to take from him. Hard to trust him. Hard to trust him. The serving piece through the years, here's why I'll let you know. The next six months as we go to expand this campus, you're going to hear me talk about serving a lot. So if you're like, oh, I'm not going to stop. I'm going to keep talking about it. Right, because as we open up, God's been good to us. Right, we've got to all step into this. And many of us are new. Many of us have come back to faith. And we're like, dude, we're for it. What I've done in the past, usually once or twice a year, I'll bring this up. But what I've done in the past is I'll say, hey, text this number here or scan this QR code here, and our staff will get with you. I'm not doing that. Let me tell you why. 300 people in a service like this will have a goose bump and go, yeah, I need to serve. And then we'll follow up with you, and conveniently, we never hear from you. I love you. I'm for you. You get busy. It's probably a number you don't know. I get it. All I'm going to ask you to do is when you leave, there are people in our lobbies across all of our campuses. If you don't have a place, you're giving back. Or I should say serving. If you don't have a place, like I'm serving weekly in a group, right, serving in our community, like, like you don't have a place where you're actively serving or you're new to the church like I would love to. There are people with these ugly orange shirts on. Right? Careful. Sorry about that. Right? These, they say, serve me. Right? They say, where's it say right there? So not serve me. So it just says serving. Looks like a traffic cone. Right? <laughs> we do that so you see them. 1980s serving. When you walk out, All I'm going to ask you to do, our biggest need, to be honest with you, is next generation and Bethlehem buddies. We have kids everywhere. It's a young crowd. Here's what that means. You got kids. Bethlehem buddies, our special needs ministry is exploding because you know how many churches would love to do special needs ministry, but they can't? I get it. That we get to such an honor, such a blessing, and so we need help there. If you're not serving anywhere, here's the response. The most spiritual thing you could do is not go, hmm. I need to think about that. No. It's not to be a hearer of the word, but to be what? Be a doer. And all you do is walk out there and talk to one of It doesn't mean you have to serve every week. It just means you get into a conversation, and we get you connected. You can ask questions and find the best place. Well, I don't want to serve a next-generation Bethlehem buddies. That dude gave out coffee and changed his life. Maybe that's what I need. 
right? They will get you connected, but it helps you take a next step. Now, when I dismiss in just a minute, here's the thing I don't want to happen. Do the whole weird, awkward, I'm not going to look at the people in the eyes. I'm going to walk out, and I'm on my phone, right? I know you guys have pastored here for 12 years, right? I'm going to walk out, and I'm not going to make eye contact. because There's no guilting. There's no, we're just inviting. That's all this is. We're inviting. If that's you, awesome. Many of you already serve awesome. This just helps you take the next step. That's a hard verse right there. That's in the red letters. Like, that's Jesus. It's a difficult verse. Lo, I'm with you always. Yes, he's with me. That's true. He says it. But he also says that. Let me show you another difficult teaching of Jesus as we close. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and do what? Well, first of all, why in the world would you ever deny yourself? It's your rights, your privilege, your life. Happy, if you want to be happy, you don't deny yourself anything. That's crazy. And take up his cross and follow me. What does that mean? Like the idea of taking up your cross. They hadn't seen Jesus go to the cross yet when he said this. But nobody in that time would take up a cross. It was a murder weapon. Right? Take up your cross Here's the teaching. Jesus was saying, take up your cross, that you make choices that don't serve you, but you make choices to benefit others. When I make choices that inconveniences me, but benefit others, that's what it means to take up your cross. Because look at your necklace that you're wearing right now. Right? Look at, at your house, the cross that's hanging on your wall. That cross... Jesus did not do that for himself, but for our benefit. That's the center of our faith. Mm, the cross. Well, the cross was Jesus making a choice that did not benefit him, but benefited us by giving us what? Eternal life, forgiveness, redemption. And when we choose to willingly serve, we are no more like Jesus than when we do that. Will you stand with me across our campuses? Head bowed, eyes closed, nobody leaving. End in this sacred moment. So, Father, that we would have a heart of service. It's not about me. It's not about me. It's not about me. It's not about me. And, Father, that's a statement that we all have probably said before. Not about me. Not about me. But how does that show up in our lives? That we would not just be hearers, but doers. We would not just agree with the fact that we should serve others. But we can look in our life and we trust you with our first and best. We give and we give joyfully. So many do here and I'm thankful for them. Many of them are going to take a step for the first time or for the first time in a long time doing that. Others of us, it's about serving. That we would look in our lives and what do we do that's for the benefit of others. It's not what we're paid to do, but we make choices. That's what worship is. That's the heart of our Father.